Of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, I think hope is often underestimated. Faith is what heals us and ultimately saves us. Charity is what comforts and connects us to God and to others. Yet hope, in a sense, the plainest sister of the three virtues, is what keeps many of us going. The Indian poet Rabindranath Tagore wrote, if I keep a green bough in my heart, the singing bird will come. Emily Dickinson wrote, hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. In the movie Field of Dreams, the protagonist longed for baseball greats to come to his farm and believed that constructing a baseball field would draw them. He said, if I build it, they will come. Can't you see why the first settlers in this country named their towns New Hope and Good Hope? Hope is what keeps us going, keeps us checking the mail, racing to the phone, waiting at the hospital, praying for peace. Hope is the song in the soul. When Paul says that we suffer with Christ, that we may also be glorified with Christ, he's speaking of hope and of the hope that Christ experienced. We usually look at the story of Jesus backwards, viewing it from the perspective of the resurrection. But if we look at it from the other way, we see Jesus' suffering and death as not only testing his faith, but trying his hope. To assume that Christ did otherwise, then hope, is to fall into the heresy of docetism, the belief that Christ only appeared to be human. We believe in a God who hoped, who understood what it was like to long for a future good. It's interesting to meditate on the hope Christ experienced and to relate that to our own hopes and dreams. St. Paul also speaks of the way in which all creation is laboring with hope in the effort to bring forth new life. We're urged to face the future with hope and not despair. But hope is more than the opposite of despair. It's also the means, the tool, by which we change our lives and our directions. The first lesson from Genesis is a case in point. It's often consoling to read scripture and realize just how low down some of the Bible's heroes and heroines, the ancestors in the family of our faith, really were. Jacob is an excellent example. He was a sneak and a swindler. He had cheated his less clever brother Esau out of that older son's birthright. And our lesson today follows his deceiving his blind father into giving him, the younger son, the blessing, which is the spiritual legacy of the family and was reserved for the beleaguered older brother. After accomplishing his trickery and then learning that Esau planned to kill him, Jacob realized he was in deep trouble. His indulgent mother helped send him off to his, her brother Laban in the hope that he would find safety. It was in route that his today's story takes place. Jacob went out into the wilderness alone, but he was not a capable hunter and outdoorsman as, as his brother was. He was afraid and vulnerable. As night fell, he decided to camp at a certain place and lay down to sleep. We might think that Jacob would be restless and troubled after what he'd done, 
in addition to his fear of being alone and exposed, but instead he slept, and he had a wonderful, numinous dream. Now, if you've ever had a very memorable dream, either positive or a nightmare, you know how compelling and exciting they can be. It's as if we're suddenly part of a story much larger than ourselves, and we carry that extra dimension into our waking hours for the next day and sometimes for weeks and even years. Jacob's dream was an amazing dream and one of the first dreams in a long line of important dreams in the Bible. I won't go into the dreams of Jacob's son, Joseph, nor those of Joseph's namesake, the husband of Mary, but suffice it to say that dreams have played a significant part in the story of our faith, and they still do so. Most modern Americans view dreams simply as the brain dealing with the day's past activities. But many cultures discuss their dreams in the morning and see them as sources of wisdom. Native Americans send their young people out on dream quests to help them find guidance for their lives ahead. And the Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung saw them as valuable tools for spiritual growth and explored the dreamer within us as affiliated with the divine. They are one clear way in which God still speaks to us. Jacob dreamed of a ladder that reached from earth to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending that ladder. You recall that angels are divine messengers and so Jacob dreamed of the constant conversation that's going on between God and God's people. The discourse that happens through prayer and study and meditation, the means by which we as the people of God are inspired and healed and sanctified. This was an astonishing moment for Jacob because up until then he had not believed in God. Earlier in the story he had spoken to his father and referred to God as Yahweh, your God. Up until that dream, Jacob's God had been only himself. In the dream, God stood beside Jacob and spoke to him. Instead of upbraiding him for the rotten things he'd done, God promised Jacob that he would become a great nation and the world would be blessed by him. Suddenly, God and the divine dimension of life became very real to Jacob. He must have known he was undeserving of such love, and yet there it was as the love of God always is. Jacob could not steal or barter such a gift. God had outdistanced any hope he might have had for himself or his future. Jacob was dazzled and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He understood the holiness of the ground on which he slept and he took the stone he'd used for a pillow and set it upright as a pillar to mark the spot where he had been given insight into the living God. His action might seem strange to us, but it was and is a very common thing to mark the place in this material world where the spiritual world intervened and became real to us. The Celtic saints believed that there were particular places that they called thin places where there was easy commerce between heaven and earth, and where people could be in close connection to God. There were places where prayer was considered particularly efficacious, and where time and eternity intermingled. 
Throughout history and across cultures, people have marked specific locations as holy. You can feel it sometimes if you go to certain places. You can feel it coming up from the floor, from the earth, into you. St. Luke's may be that for many of us. Our psalm today speaks words that Jacob could have said and each of us could say as well. God has searched us out and knows us. God knows our journeys and our resting places. We cannot flee from God's presence, but we can ask that God look into our hearts and help us to know and root out those things that keep us from doing God's will. And we may wonder why God would choose somebody like Jacob to be the father of people by whom the rest of the world would be blessed. Why would such a scoundrel gain such blessing? We may think of other scoundrels that are troubling us today. The answer is partly that God's ways are not our ways and partly that Jacob had spiritual potential. For one thing, even though he deceived others, Jacob was capable of being honest with himself. This meant he could change. But first, God needed to break through that tough, egocentric exterior. One noted spiritual writer says there are three things that can break through such a tough shell. They are suffering, recognition of a power greater than oneself, and coming to care for someone other than oneself. In Jacob's life, all three things would happen. The first experience, that of suffering, came with his fear and flight into the wilderness. The second experience came with his experience of God in the dream. And the third experience would come when he met and fell in love with Rachel. We see the story of Jacob, we see in it, the seed of hope being planted in a person and how that hope could begin to foster change. Jacob woke from the dream a changed man. It's important to note that Jacob didn't try to climb the ladder in the dream, but he had seen it and he knew the meaning of it and would go on to lead his life differently because of that hope that had been planted in his soul. And one day, years later, he would interact much more closely with the messenger of God. It's a story of change and a reminder to pray for those we dislike because God may have plans for them. Our gospel also speaks to the issue of scoundrels who thrive and how Christians should respond. Jesus assures us that God will bring history to close with justice. I'd like to conclude this morning with a few words about angels. Our Anglican tradition is a fairly rational tradition and we don't discuss them very much. But if you think about it, our worship is awash with them. We hear of them in scripture, as we did today, and we speak of them in prayer, for example, when we say, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. And they're in our iconography. Here in the chancel, there are two images of angels on either side, two stained glass windows. One is St. Michael, the archangel, and the other is St. Gabriel, another archangel. And Mother Nan McNeil said that when she first came here, our beautiful apse had a mosaic and there were angels flanking the cross. They've since been taken down and painted over. But there are angels among us. 
and many have a sense of a beneficent guide in their lives or a guardian angel. The poet and artist William Blake was one. His wife said she didn't have much opportunity to speak with Mr. Blake because he was so often in conversation with the Archangel Gabriel. And we teach our children that they have guardian angels, and many carry that sense with them throughout life. My mother felt that she had a guardian angel who was with her very clearly in her later years. We don't see angels, but we may feel them and their presence may guide us and even lift us, such as when we say, it was a morning when I just felt good to be alive, or I had a hunch it would all work out, or I don't know where I found the courage. Angels may come in dreams, as dreams, or as messages in many forms, from other people, from animals, in music, from nature. It's for us to trust that they are with us, to listen, to learn, and to give thanks. Amen.